Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, March the 16th, 2022. It is currently 2.14 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where currently it's almost 80 degrees outside. Not that you really care, but just give painting the picture for you. Yeah, it's a nice, warm, windy day here in West Texas, and we have a lot to talk about. So I hope you're going to pay close attention. I hope that you're going to listen to everything I have to say. We're going to be dealing with some controversy. And sometimes whenever you deal deal with something that is controversial, people have a tendency to only hear a few things you say, and then immediately they want to react. Immediately they want to grab their iPad, their phone, and they want to start tapping on that screen to send you a message. But before you do that, Please listen to everything we're going to be talking about because I think this is of the utmost importance. Now, we're going to be mentioning a very popular name, a name that is very well known in the evangelical church. It may be one of your, the person I'm going to mention may be one of your favorite pastors of all time. I hope that you will, I hope that the name doesn't create a situation where all you hear is the name, possibly something critical being said about that name. And from that point, you just immediately, you just immediately tune everything else out. I hope you'll, whatever is said about this particular name, this particular pastor, I hope you'll kind of set that aside to look at the deeper topic. This is, this is bringing up a very important subject that I think anyone who attends a church and who's a member of a church should give serious thought to. All right, because I think I think uh, there, there's a lot here for us to consider. But let's just start right here. All right, there's, there's a lot more I want to say, but I, I think I may save that to the end. But here we go. Are you ready? Thinking caps on. Thinking caps on. Here's the question: Is it correct? Is it right? Is it biblical for a church to refuse to let someone move their membership? Someone tells the church, I want to move my membership, and the church says, nope, can't do that. We're not going to allow you to move your membership. Basically, you can't leave. You're here. You're going to stay here, and if you try to move your membership, we're just going to, we're we're just not going to do it. We're not going to allow it. We won't transfer your letter. Maybe, maybe we're we're just, you may try to move to another church, but you'll still technically be a member here. Is that biblical? Is that right? And if a church is engaged in that kind of practice, if a church has something in their bylaws telling someone that they cannot move their membership, is that something that you should be like, you should warn people about? Is that a kind of church that you should tell people not to join? Is that a church that you should tell people to possibly leave? Where, where, what scripture would you utilize to defend the idea that a church can say, sorry, you can't move your membership. You, you are denied. Is there any circumstance where it would be acceptable for a church to deny someone's request to move their membership? Now, the reason we're asking these questions is because there is a big story that is all over the internet. It's all over social media. It's it's all over YouTube. People are talking about it. Podcasters are talking about it. YouTubers are talking about it. Bloggers are talking about it. It is a story that continues to seem to grow day by day with at least 
indications that other reports are going to be coming out in regards to it. And it's not a pretty story. It's an ugly story. So now I'm going to take part of this story and re-ask my question. All right. So there's a controversial story. I'm going to take a part of this controversial story and re-ask my question. I want you to think about it. If a woman is experiencing physical abuse in her marriage, if that woman is a mother and her children are, are, is and are experiencing physical abuse from the husband, and if that mother decides to separate from her husband and decides she wants to leave her church, should the church step in and say, sorry, we don't think you should separate from your husband. Sorry, you can't leave the church. Sorry, you can't transfer your membership. Would that be right? If the, if the woman feels like that, I'm in danger, my children are in danger, I, I, I want to, and I'm, I, I don't agree with the church's perspective on this, I want to leave. Should the church say, sorry, you can't leave, you have to stay right here, and you have to reconcile with your husband, and you have to bring him back into your home, and he has to be back around your children. And she perceives that as, as dangerous and as a threat. Even if the woman, let's say the woman's perspective is, let's say, is flawed. Should the church deny her request to move? Even if they disagree with her? And should the church then take another step forward to this woman who's being abused and their children being abused? Should the church take a, another step forward and then publicly shame the woman and then excommunicate her, even though she already previously asked to leave the church? Gets complicated, gets ugly, gets messy. Well, this is the situation that occurred many years ago at Grace Community Church, and you know the pastor, Pastor John MacArthur. A woman by the name of Eileen Gray was married to a man by the name of David Gray. David Gray was on staff at Grace Community Church. He taught music and the Bible. She reported that her and her children were being physically and verbally abused. She got a restraining order and separated from her husband. At some point in the situation, she requested to move her membership from Grace Community Church to another church, and that request was denied. It is a crazy story, a crazy situation. If you're not familiar with what happened, ultimately the husband goes to prison, found guilty for not just physical and verbal abuse, but sexual abuse of a child. He's in prison and the woman ended up being excommunicated, publicly shamed, and the church has never apologized, and they still seem to be very not really willing to explain exactly what happened. In the midst of all of this, trying to figure out what was going on, some people have put together a timeline of events, trying to figure this out. Like, okay, wait, so what happened first? What happened second? What happened third? Because, because a lot of people just want to ensure that a, a proper timeline is needed for someone to try to have a, a right opinion of everything that went down. While everyone's trying to figure out the timeline, to me, what jumped out at me was, wait a minute, in this timeline, it shows her tr requesting to leave the church and her request was denied. That to me is crazy. That, that, that to me makes absolute no, absolutely no sense. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to someone who's put together the timeline. I'm going to give you the name of their YouTube channel. I would challenge you to go watch all of their video. We're only going to review a little bit of it because we're going to, uh, my goal here in this episode is simply to talk about this idea of 
her request to leave the church being denied. That, to me, is a part of the story that everyone else is overlooking. And then we're going to look at the bylaws of Grace Community Church and see what their rules are about, well, membership. And you can say, you can determine if you agree or disagree. But the name of this channel, this YouTube channel, is Honest Youth Pastor, all run together Honest Youth Pastor, the H in Honest is capitalized, the Y in Youth is capitalized, and the P in Pastor is capitalized. Honest Youth Pastor, the uh, the title of the video is The Roy's Report and the Grace Community Church Timeline Part 1. I would highly recommend you go find that video, watch that video, and you can see everything they have to say. I'm just going to start this right where he begins to talk about the timeline. I'm going to interrupt off and on and offer a few thoughts in regards to the timeline, trying to at least explain what's going on. And then when in the timeline, when it is mentioned that she tried to leave the church and it was denied, that's what I want to talk about. That to me is what is a big part of this story. And and to me, it's a big part of the story, not not because it's about Grace Community Church, not because it's about John MacArthur, because it raises questions about the things churches do, the the structures, the things we do. And we have to ask ourselves, how much of what we see in the church today, how much of it is simply man-made tradition, man-made rules, man-made laws that have nothing to do with the Bible, have nothing to do with Jesus, has nothing to do with the church. It just It's just the result of a man-made organization creating rules and regulations and what you can and cannot do. At, at wh- how much things can be added to the church to it really stops being a biblical church and it's now just a man-made organization. That to me, I think, is a very, that to me is the interesting part of this entire discussion. Right now, everyone's yelling and screaming at each other and everyone's taking sides and you're either on Team MacArthur or you're on Team the woman who was abused or you're on the team of the, of the, of the po- podcasters or reporters who are reporting on it. Everyone's taking sides. I just want to look at it, I, I, well, Theology Central, from a theological perspective. What, what can a church do? How much power does a church have over someone who's a member? How much power should they be allowed to have? How much power can they exercise before this becomes almost like a man-made cult and not the church of Jesus Christ? These are very important questions. And so we're going to let the timeline get us to a real-life example of someone being denied who's trying to leave their church, and then we're going to talk about what that actually means. Are you ready? Here we go. This, again, comes from Honest Youth Pastor on YouTube. By all means, look up the video. Watch all of it for yourself. You can draw your own conclusions about anything he has to say. Again, I'm focused on the timeline. That, that's to me, is what is fascinating here, and that's what we're going to focus on. So here we go statement like let's just look at the timeline and see what we can get from the from the events that we at least know that happened in regards to both sides of the story so that being said let me um well i thought i had this ready for you guys i'm sorry um let me throw this up real quick and it is going to be we're going to walk through three specific slides uh going through sort of the timeline of events as outlined in the report now now stop right here the report he's referring to, referring to is the investigative report put out by Julie Royce on the Royce Report. I would challenge you to go to just type in Julie Royce or the Royce Report.com. 
You'll find the article. Read the entire article for yourself. You can draw your own conclusions. He's using that article in order to build a timeline. And he puts the timeline in three slides. I wish he would have put a link so everyone could download the slides because he did a very good job in building like in these slides that really give it in chronological order all of the events. And the reason people are trying to figure out the events is because it can make, in other words, based on the timeline, it could make either the church look more guilty or less guilty. It could make it can make maybe the actions of Eileen Gray questionable or, or David Gray. In other words, there's a, the timeline really could help maybe determine guilt or innocence or just lack of knowledge or confusion. So a lot of people are really doing a lot of work trying to put together the timeline. Now, what's interesting is it's everyone else out there trying to put together timelines, trying to figure it all out, where for the most part, Grace Community Church has just been absolutely silent. And I guess they don't feel that they have any responsibility to to address the situation in any meaningful way. I mean, a woman was excommunicated who was abused, her children were abused, and the husband's in jail. At, at the very least, you think there should be a statement saying, we're going to lift the church discipline and we're going to apologize, at the very least. But it's just, and in fact, that should have already been done the minute the husband was found guilty and went to jail. So the whole situation is absolutely crazy. But the timeline, I do appreciate people are trying to find the correct timeline so that there can be an accurate understanding of what took place. I think that that is important, and I'm glad people are out there working on it. I'm not here working on the timeline for this episode because, again, I'm interested in one aspect of the timeline. Hey, I want to leave the church. Sorry, you can't. That's insane to me. That's what we're going to try to figure out. Here we go. Now, in her report... She has um, she has statements, or as the kids say, receipts from both sides, uh, and those give at least a clearer picture as far as the timeline and of what happened. So let me throw that up real quick. So right here, um, we have um, we're, we're starting in '94, right? So apparently, this David Gray individual gets hired in 1994 to Grace Community Church to basically teach music and the Bible. Uh, and he goes, his employment ends in 2001. Now, none of the things in this article say when he was terminated of employment. We kind of get a, uh, an idea that it was around November of 2001, though I can't find anything that, that says when, but we'll get to that in a minute. We do know, though, that his employment ends at the end of 2001. Now, the reason. Now, we'll stop right here. So, David Gray is employed by the church. From 1994 to 2001. So that means he was there for a number of years. So he's obviously played a somewhat of a significant role in the history of that church in the sense that he was employed there for so many years. That comes to an end sometime in 2001. Nobody knows exactly when. David Gray is the husband of the woman who ultimately is going to be excommunicated and publicly shamed by John MacArthur. And he's the one who now is in prison for physical abuse and sexual abuse well, of a child. Just the whole the whole story is tragic, horrible, and it's just a mess. But well, we'll just see how this all plays out. Here we go. The reason I want to walk through this as we go through this is because there it becomes pretty clear as you look at this that there's some questions that come up, but there's somebody that comes to the forefront that is sort of like, the big problem here, well, there's a couple of people that are the big problem here, but we'll look at it. So 
he's he's employed by Grace Community Church from 94 to 2001. Now, in May on May 10th, 2001 is kind of where everything sort of uh it's sort of the launching pad for everything else that happens in this conversation apparently. Because what you're going to hear is Elaine, which is Elaine Gray, which is David Gray's ex-wife now, but married at the time. It's Eileen. It's not Elaine. It's Eileen. I mispronounce names all the time. So I just want you to make sure that we're we're not talking about two different people. It's Eileen Gray, David Gray. All right. Just so that you know, that's perfectly okay. I think he corrects it. I just want you to know. So so, so this is he's, – he's working through the timeline, okay? So I just want to make sure you – you see what's happening here, and then, well, it'll all make sense. Just keep listening. She will report later, and you can find, by the way, her report in the link uh, of the Royce report. In that report, there's clickable links to go through. But Elaine will say that she's actually been in an abusive relationship for uh, three or more years, is what she'll end up telling people. Um, and but sort of the tipping point of that seems to be for her May 10th of 2001. And on May 10th, 2001, she gets woken up. She hears a lot of uh, commotion in her house. She goes and she finds that David is being incredibly physically abusive to one of their children. But after that event, the child won't say like what happened. The child just is sort of just saying that dad hurt them. That's all. That's all the child will say. Now, uh, on in June of 2001, so not too far later, April, May, June, like a month later, maybe we don't have a specific date. Uh, but the child opens up to Elaine and says that David hit them with the in the head with a toy and kicked them. And then the other children also make statements that they always felt like David was trying to kill them. Like this is the statement they tell their mom. Um, so Elaine files for. Uh, separation in June, that same, that next day she files uh, for separation. Um, And what we'll see is I I say under these files for separation, that more detailed understanding of the situation can be found in Carrie Harvey's report. We'll get to who he is here in a minute, Um, but he has his report and Elaine's report are like two incredibly different like stories. Uh, it's, it's, they couldn't be further night and day. So they're very interesting to read. And I would encourage you to go read them because what you'll see is like Carrie's telling one story and Elaine's telling the other one. And we'll get to who Carrie is here in a minute. But the point is, so we get to, um, June, she files separation at the beginning of June. Now, Elaine meets with, um, Grace Community Church elders. All right. So she meets with a guy named Bill, uh, Shannon and, quote, other elders. We don't know who the other elders are, but she meets with Bill Shannon specifically and other elders. Shannon, apparently, according to Elaine, accuses her of sinning by going to the law to to separate, basically, from her husband. Uh, Shannon says she shouldn't have done that. And he uses like this really weird version of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 10, to tell her she shouldn't have done that. Okay, now this gets weird because she is experiencing some kind of abuse She's concerned. She goes to for separation. I think she tries to get a protect a protective, uh, you know, order that you know the husband has to stay away. And she's basically being told you're you you're violating scripture. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Now we could get into a long discussion about that. Uh, he's going to mention a little bit about it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything here because again, the focus of my episode is 
the whole church membership situation, which uh, to me, of all the different topics being discussed in regards to this story, this is the one topic that no one else is talking about. So I wanted to to take this approach while everyone else talks and debates and 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 speaks about all of these other issues this to me is something that needs to be discussed all the other things are very important obviously but i wanted to try to look at something that everyone else i think is overlooking because it raises serious questions about how a church should or should not operate and maybe when a church stops being a church and turns into something well, not healthy, not good, and something that's spiritually abusive. That is something we'll have to look at. So here we go. Even though that verse continues on and says that, like, if you do separate, you should seek reconciliation. But it doesn't say you can't separate, which is, again, we don't know what he told her. We just know that he told her she shouldn't separate from him based on this verse. But so that's all we have. Now, we do know that two days later, so she goes to the elders on June 28th, uh, which is Bill Shannon specifically and other elders. We don't know who those other elders are. And then on June 30th, two days later, Bill Shannon, which is who she met with on the 28th, Bill meets with David on the 30th. Now, now David's still employed at Grace Community Church, and Bill apparently meets with him. And whatever happens from that conversation and whatever was discussed results in Shannon feeling as if um, Elaine needs to not be around David. He sets up a situation in which she and the children can go stay with another family in the church. So- now that just from the timeline perspective is super interesting because clearly he hears something when he meets with David Gray that says, whoa, Eileen needs to, she doesn't need to be in this house. She needs to get out. So that, that at least shows some acknowledgement from the church there that something wasn't right something wasn't good. And that's way before a conviction comes into play. That's way before David Gray goes to prison. So that seems to give some indication they knew something was going on. Now, this would raise the question, they have a responsibility to report it. Did they report it? And by all accounts, they did not report it. Why didn't they? Because that seems to be the law. All right. So that raises some other questions, but that's a very important part in the timeline that they seemed, I mean, there seemed to be some acknowledgement, something's not right here. She needs to stay with someone. So they're going to set up. That's a good thing. The church is going to set up a place for her to stay. That is a good thing. That right there is a good thing. If they fail to report it, that's a bad thing, but it sounds like they're going to put some conditions and we're going to provide a place for you, but here are some conditions. Now, I don't know why there would be any conditions. The conditions would be protect the kids, protect the woman. That should be, <laughs> there shouldn't be any conditions, but it sounds like they're going to put some conditions. So just, just listen. So whatever that conversation was, it was enough for him to feel like she needed to be elsewhere, not around her husband, which is interesting. Now, the, um, the conditions, as it were, for this help, is that David and her have to attend counseling. And this is where we meet uh, Carrie Hardy. So David's contract isn't renewed. And like I said, I can't tell where it's not renewed. I stuck it here because that's where in the article it mentions it. But later on, a couple of things. The counseling is not professional counseling, but what they will refer to as biblical counseling with someone who's not a trained professional counselor, all right? So that's that's number one. Number two, they don't renew David Gray's contract. They basically let him go, which may be another indication that they knew something wasn't good. Now, the more 
the more the timeline indicates that they knew something wasn't right and that David wasn't doing things right, that leads to then why does she become the only one who ends up being church disciplined in this particular bizarre case? Now, there there's some different ways we could look at why, but this just begins to raise lots of questions, all right? Just, we still want to get to the timeline where the whole church membership thing comes into play. All right, here we go. Down in November 2001, the conversation that Carrie and Elaine and Bill have, they talk about his contract not being renewed. So it's not super clear. I couldn't find any paperwork that said when his contract wasn't renewed. But anyway, so canceling starts in 2001 with Carrie Hardy. Um, there's documents that reveal, like they they have open conversation in these documents that Hardy uh, knew the the Greys for several years. Like they went to church together, he knew who they were, and then he starts to uh, counsel them. Now, one thing that is important here, and I think that really shouldn't be overlooked, is that uh, Carrie Hardy is a pastor but he's not a counselor. Like he's not a qualified counselor. Now, the reason that matters is that if you've ever been to uh, Bible college or seminary, what you're going to probably be taught is that like you can counsel people in as far as you're able to. There's a point where you need to realize that like, oh, somebody else probably needs to do this. Um, as far as what comes up in the counseling, who needs to be you know, told about what is discussed in the counseling. Um, there's certain things that, some pastors just aren't able to address in a, in a, in a correct way because they haven't been trained that way. Um, but anyway, Hardy's not a, he's not a certified counselor. So the counseling apparently happens between September and November of 2001. And during these counseling sessions, David admits physically abusing the children. He actually writes a list of all the things he's done to them and to Elaine. And according to Elaine, he tries to give this list to Carrie Hardy. Now, Carrie Hardy didn't ask him to write this list. David does this on his own volition. But um, according to Elaine, Harvey doesn't want to look at it. He doesn't want to uh, keep a copy of it. He doesn't want to read it. Now, out of all of these between September and November, apparently there's eight total sessions that were held in this time. This entire sort of article, um, I get why uh, Julia Royce titled it like this whole thing about MacArthur, but MacArthur isn't involved in any of this until we get to the end. And we'll get to that here in a minute. The main players here, uh, are, are Hardy and Elaine essentially, and David's sort of the cause of all of this. Um, now when we get to the end of the counseling sessions, um, and this is why I would urge you to read Hardy's report as well as Elaine's statement in reply to him, because, there's a lot of things said in those documents that if Elaine is is being truthful, which we have no reason to believe she's not, um, if Hardy said the things he said to her, like that's it's concerning the things that he said to her. Um, but again, Hardy has it a totally opposite side of the story in regards to what was actually going on in the counseling. So you need to read both of those. We don't have time to get into all the details of those. But if you're interested in what, kind of what's going on here, you almost need to read both of those. At the end of the, the counseling that happened between September and November 2001, at the end of that, Elaine is informed uh, by Hardy and Shannon that David's contract won't be renewed, he won't be rehired, um, and um, they talk about getting him into the L.A. Uh, school system. 
Um, and according to Elaine, Shannon actually talks about uh, getting him into like this school system that never asks him for references because she's concerned that he won't be able to get a job because of the, the abuse and all of the things that he's done. So apparently- now that's where things get really weird. Here's someone who's abused children and you're going to try to get him a job in the public school system. Like what? It, like that is that just that raises, again, a bunch of other red flags, a bunch of other red flags. And you can you can sit there and try to process all of this. Again, I'm simply giving you the timeline because I want to see where this weird membership church thing occurs. OK, so she did the eight sessions of counseling. She did that. Now, his contract is not going to be renewed with uh, Grace Community Church. Now, they're going to help him find a job, basically, in a public school system. All right? That's, that's kind of where things are going right here, right? The, the, and, and what was said in those counseling sessions, again, there's some, depending on if what Eileen is saying is true, it's, it sounds like some really messed up stuff. If it's not true, whatever, whatever the truth is, hopefully it comes out. Supposedly, those counseling sessions were taped. Maybe there's audio recording somewhere of those counseling sessions, which would then actually verify what was said. If what Eileen says occurred in those counseling sessions, if it is true, it is very, 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 very troubling. If that is true. But again, so we're moving forward in the timeline. Just wait for when the whole church membership thing comes into play. Here we go. Apparently that's how he gets a job in the LA County school system um, is because they're not going to allow him to teach at Grace Community Church anymore, um, but they're trying to help him out, I suppose. Uh, Though I don't know why you would do that, but apparently that's according to what happened. Um, And again, we, we have a lane side because Hardy and Shannon refused to comment on the situation. So we, we don't have any other information other than go off what Elaine has, has said. Now, please note, nobody from Grace Community Church is willing to talk about any of this. They're not willing to deal with any of this. And that is troubling. Like if you just, just, I mean, someone's got to be able to speak up because there seems to be a lot here that there needs to be answers for. All right. But just, just wait for it. I can't wait for it. Here we go. So, or Eileen, I'm sorry. I've I've got her. I probably got her name wrong the whole time. I apologize. Eileen is her name. So at this time in November, 2001, after she's been um, told a ton that she needs to, um, you know, uh, repent, go back to him. um, There's, there's, again, you need to read those reports. There's a lot there that I'm not going to be able to really convey in an adequate manner, but they're very interesting to read in regard. So just remember, basically through all of this, the the emphasis is she needs to repent and she needs to get back with her husband. Clearly, she either, and and I'm not going to speak for motives, either she just doesn't want to, or she's concerned for her own safety and the safety of her kids. I mean, that is a a very probable explanation for why she doesn't want to get back together. They've been through eight sessions of counseling. I don't know how eight sessions of counseling are going to necessarily guarantee your safety, but she doesn't appear to want to do this. All right. Just stay with me. Here we go. To what she's claiming he said, Um, she says that she wants to withdraw her membership. Now, this is where it gets kind of weird because. All right. Now, here we go. She decides she wants to withdraw her membership. Now, at this point, 
There seems to be no, there has, according to anything I can find, there hasn't seemed to be any threat of church discipline. Maybe it has. There doesn't seem to be anything pending that she's going to to be uh, church disciplined. And she decides she wants to remove her membership at that point. Now, at that point, what would prevent it from happening? What, what would prevent it from happening? Hey, she's gone through the counseling. The church thinks this is what she should do. She doesn't want to do that. And she wants to move on. At that point, why don't they just let her move on? Like at that point, this is where things get weird. Why? And not only can't she just, I mean, not, I mean, I, I want to move my membership. I mean, why is it even, does she have to seek permission? Is it, does the church make that determination for her? Like this gets really, this is where it gets kind of questionable. But so we're in November, I think 2001, and she's trying to go. She's trying to leave. And it doesn't appear like, hey, hey, next week, hey, next week, you're going to be church disciplined. Okay, well, I want to leave the church. That doesn't appear to be the case. She's trying to leave. Why wouldn't they just say, look, we don't want you to leave. We want to do everything we can to help you. But clearly, here's our perspective. You have a different perspective. Maybe it's best we part ways. Now, again, at this point, they should have reported the abuse, though. They should have reported the abuse, right? And they and even if she leaves the church, they should still want to do everything they, to ensure that she is safe and her child is safe and that they have what they need to be able to move on. Even if you may disagree with their perspective, you still want to do what you can to show love and compassion for someone who has possibly endured. Well, it sounds like David Gray had confessed and wrote a list of the things that he had done. So it seems to be everyone knows that she had, had experienced some kind of abuse. There doesn't seem to be any question about about that. The church even seems to have acknowledged to at least by some of their actions, and they tried to find her a place to stay. They won't renew his contract. There seemed to be the church at least understood he had done something. So where does the concern for the woman and the children enter into this? But she tries to remove, change her membership. And as, as you just heard on, on the audio from this video, this is where it gets strange. As most churches, if you say you want to withdraw your membership, they'll just they'll say okay, um, and then they'll usually ask where you want to send your membership to, or if you want a reference, you know, for a new church you're going to. Um, they Grace Community Church doesn't do that. Now, what I mean by Grace Community Church in this regard is Carrie Hardy. Carrie Hardy sends uh, five letters to Elaine in regards to her trying to withdraw her membership between. Uh, uh, November 2001 and uh, August of 2002. And she, she says they're, uh, they're, they're letters of harassment. You can read them again. They're clickable. They're online uh, from this article, but it's very interesting that like, there's this, this very, uh, this pursuit of not letting her withdraw her membership. Now that continues until August of. Now, please don't. So there's like this pursuit, not letting her, remove her membership like on on what basis would you have for her not being able to remove to to get rid of her membership like this seems just bizarre to me like I, she wants to leave let her go 
Make sure she's safe. Make sure you report the abuse because that's what you're supposed to do. Make sure she's safe. Make, you may want to even make sure that financially she has what she needs to be able to move on if that's what she's going to do. It doesn't mean that you ag- may agree with everything, but you're still trying to show love and compassion even if someone may be doing something that you don't completely agree with because she's obviously been abused and the child has been abused. I mean, there, there's the, the husband even confessed at this point. So there's no question here. So why wouldn't the church then, in a sense, come, think of it this way, come to support both parties, the husband and the family, just support the whole family to the best of your ability, even if there is some form of disagreement. But they refuse and they keep sending her letters. And this just seems bizarre. This seems just absolutely crazy. So now we're getting fast approaching August, I believe, of 2020. Uh, 2022, I believe at this point, all right? And then here we go. Two with the last letter. And then according to, oh, well, not according to, it happened. This is where MacArthur comes into the picture. Now, this is the big, big question, right? So right now, if you were just handed this, uh, these documents and you were like looking at this case, you would assume that the only three people that were involved in this case at all are David Gray, um, Harry Cardi, uh, Carrie Hardy, rather, and then Eileen Gray. Like these are the three people that keep coming up in this discussion, and occasionally Bill Shannon, but he's not there a lot. Somehow or another, uh, MacArthur on May nineteenth of two thousand two, uh, right? So this is in the middle of Bill Shannon, or not Bill Shannon. Uh, this is in the middle of uh, Carrie Harvey sending out these letters to. Um, Eileen about, you know, her membership. She can't withdraw it. She needs to reconcile with her husband. Um, apparently on May 19th of 02, MacArthur gets up and says something about, she says she, he shames her, but uh, it's, it's talking about how she won't reconcile with her husband. Now the video we have and the video that's available on the site is actually from August 18th because on August 18th, so all the letters have ceased from Harry uh, or Carrie Hardy, the last one of those was on August, uh, well, uh, August at some point. And then on August 18th is the video that's on the site uh, that has this report on it where MacArthur gets up and says what he says. Now, at this point, I think this is important to note because what happens is, and this is why I wanted a timeline, okay? Because things can get really convoluted and assumptions made really, really fast. And we just need to be transparent and honest about like, how this all transpired up to this point. So whether it be May 19th of 02 or August 18th of 02, up to this point, what we know for sure is that David Gray uh, has been terminated from Grace Community Church. Um, we know that he has admitted to being abusive to his wife and to his children uh, physically and verbally. Um, this is what we know. They have also, and by they, I mean Shannon and Hardy, have been pursuing Eileen um, to go get back with her husband, to reconcile, uh, to drop the restraining order she has against him. She refuses to do that because she doesn't want to put her kids back in that situation. Somehow or another, and this is the question that I think a lot of people have, is like how involved in this process was MacArthur? Because if Mac- MacArthur is co-signing the things that Carrie Hardy is telling Eileen in these counseling sessions, according to her own words of what she was being told, it's, it is, it's troubling. Like you just need to go read the words. 
like of what she says Hardy told her. Um, it, it's it's not good. Like it's just it's not good. It's very concerning to see the to what he told her uh, and what he was encouraging her to do to get back in that situation, even though he knew because David had admitted to it in counseling sessions that he had been violent, uh, not just verbally, but physically violent. So at this point, when MacArthur basically excommunicates her on August 18th, uh, David isn't teaching there anymore, but uh, it's kind of presumed, I guess, that he's still attending there. But he's not, um, he's not excommunicated. He's not shamed publicly, which I think is where a lot of the rub is with people, is that, like, why is she the one that's getting shamed? Now, um, it is worth noting Um, whether you believe him or not, that in these counseling sessions, according to the records that we have available, um, he has admitted that he was wrong. He has uh, apparently repented. And according to him and Hardy, uh, he has like begun a process of, uh, of trying to be better. Like he's not attending any counseling outside of the marriage counseling. Uh, But according to them, like he's admitted and repented of what he's done. Now, that being said, um, after this, uh, Eileen on August 28th, so she was at the service on August 18th, by the way, did not know that, but apparently she was at the service on August 18th. On August 28th, so just 10 days later, she uh, files a public uh, a public record uh, writing a letter in response to what Carrie Hardy had written in his letter about the counseling sessions. Uh, and that's the one I'm, I'm telling you to go read because she kind of rebuts a lot of what he said and what he says basically rebuts a lot of what she said before she said it. So there's these two sides to this argument. So that happens on August 28th. Up to this point, just to recap, uh, David's contract is not renewed with Grace Community Church. Um, Eileen has been excommunicated because she refuses to reconcile with her husband. Um, and she will not drop the this, the um, the separation uh, suit with him, uh, the protective order rather with him. And so this is what MacArthur says when he gets up and he says she won't reconcile. As far as anybody knows, Eileen as well, um, physical and uh, uh, verbal abuse are kind of the, the the tip of the iceberg at this point. Like they're 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 the problem. Okay. Now, not that that makes it good, because it doesn't make it good at all. That's terrible. That would should be enough for anybody um, to say this David Gray guy, he needs like legit anger management counseling or some sort of therapy. Uh, because even in those counseling sessions, when you read Hardy's notes, he admits that he has a lot of issues. So then we get to September of 02. So she's she's been excommunicated from Grace Community Church. Um, they kind of settle everything in court and Eileen moves 500 miles away back to her home church. Now what happens a year from then is sort of the pivotal point here. This is where everything, like I think we, everyone sort of condensed this timeline down and it shouldn't be condensed down because that's not what's happened. So in the fall of, of Oh three, Eileen learns that David was also sexually abusive to two of their children. And then she immediately reports this to LAPD. They start an investigation. And on February 20th of 2004 is when David is arrested uh, by LAPD on four counts of sexual abuse of two, two minors. 
Okay, and he's going to be found guilty, and he goes to prison. Now, after this, at no point does Grace Grace Community Church apologize to Eileen, lift the church discipline, or anything. But we go back to before the discipline happens, before the discipline occurs, it seems like she's like, okay, clearly they got a perspective I don't have. I want to move my membership, and the church will not do that. They will not let her go. That is the issue. Is that right? Is that biblical? What would you use to justify that? Now, I'm going to go to the actual bylaws from Grace Community Church. I have them right here in front of me, right under the article Church Membership. This is from the bylaws of Grace Community Church. Section 1, Purpose of the Fellowship. The congregation of Christian believers who have applied for church membership and have been duly accepted shall constitute a spiritual body united for the spiritual purposes set forth in the article of incorporation, or Articles of Incorporation at Article 2 and Article 3 of these bylaws. Section 2. Active membership. Active church membership in the Grace Community Church of the Valley shall be open to all persons who confess Christ as their Lord and Savior and who have been baptized. Section 3. Voting privileges. And it goes through all the different things about voting privileges and what you have to do to be able to be to be vote. Okay. All right. Section four, application for membership. This is how you become a member. All requests for membership shall be made to a pastor, elder, or deacon. Upon making such a request, the person shall be given an application for membership, along with a copy of the statement of faith contained in the articles of incorporation and a copy of the bylaws. A pastor, elder, or deacon shall meet with the applicant following receipt of the application. Each applicant shall be sent uh, assent to the statement of faith, subscribed to the bylaws, and shall testify publicly before a duly appointed committee of the board per the article section 17 of these bylaws at a regularly held meeting for prospective church members. Now, we could stop right here. That's not, now, some people would would have no problem with this. Like, that sounds good. That sounds wonderful. The question I would be, is that, is that the biblical way church membership should work? You have to fill out an application and then you have to assent to the bylaws. You have to assent to the statement of like, what, where, where, when did, when do we add so much that it starts turning into something else? I think, I think that's a reasonable question and everyone has to ask themselves that. All right. So you uh, so you testify before a, uh, uh, publicly before a duly appointed committee uh, that basically uh, per the article, uh, the, uh, uh, prospective church members. So you, it, but because of the bylaws, this is what you have to do. All right. Any questions about uh, about or disagreements with the statement of faith or bylaws must be indicated on the membership application. A duly appointed committee of the board will evaluate these questions or disagreements to determine whether the request for membership will be approved. So you have to go through an application process, and then you've got to answer, you've got to determine what you agree or disagree with, and then they determine whether you qualify or don't qualify. All right, now you can draw your own conclusions. Is this the way it should work? Denial of membership, section five. If upon review of an application for membership or after meeting with a prospective church member, the board of elders determines that the applicant does not confess Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, or that there is a lack of evidence of a godly lifestyle, membership shall be denied. 
The decision may be made, this decision made by the board shall be final and there should, there is no appeal to any court from that decision. So basically they determine if you're living a godly, uh, you have enough evidence of a godly lifestyle. And if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your, his or her Lord, they get to determine that and they get to determine whether you can be a member or not. All right. Um, now responsibility of members. Church members shall seek to exercise their spiritual gifts for the mutual benefit of all the church body and shall submit to the loving rule of the elders. All right? So to the loving rule of the elders. Now, are the elders held, if they don't demonstrate love, to say a woman who's abused and children who've been sexually molested? Do, do they Do they ever, do they are held accountable for that? I mean, church members are held accountable. Are the elders held accountable? Church members are held accountable. You can't even become a church member if you don't live a godly enough life lifestyle. But what if an elder, what, what if uh, the elders of a church know that a woman has been abused and the children have been physically abused? I don't know about the sexual abuse at the time. And they basically take the side of the husband. Does, is, do, do they bear any responsibility? All right. Section eight, church discipline. The threefold purpose of church discipline is to glorify God by maintaining purity in the local church, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, to edify believers by deterring sin, 1 Timothy 5, 20, and to promote the spiritual welfare of the offending believer by calling him or her to return to a biblical standard of doctrine and conduct, Galatians 6, 1. Members of the church and all other professing Christians who regularly attend or fellowship with this church who err in doctrine or who engage in conduct that violates scripture as determined by the board of elders shall be subject to church discipline, including dismissal, according to Matthew 18, 15 through 18. Now, this is crazy. So even if you're just a professing Christian who regularly attends the church, I guess Grace Community believes that you can be... <laughs> You can experience church discipline. That is bizarre to me. If you're not a member, why members of this church and all other professing Christians who regularly attend our fellowship, if you err in doctrine or engage in conduct that violates scripture as determined by the board of elders, the board of elders gets to make the determination, then you can be, you can face church discipline. That, that just seems bizarre to me. Okay, so it shall be the duty of any member of the church who has knowledge of the erring individual's heresy or misconduct to warn and correct such erring individual private seeking his or her repentance and restoration if the erring individual does not heed this warning. Then number two, the warning church member shall again go to the erring individual seeking his or her repentance, but accompanying by one or two individuals who shall confirm that the sin has occurred or is occurring to occur and that that erring individual has been appropriately confronted and has refused to repent. The first and second warnings may occur with no specific time interval. If the erring individual still refuses to heed the warning, then number three, it shall be brought to the attention of the board of elders or a duly appointed committee of the board per article section 17 of the bylaws at the sole discretion of the board. If the board of elders, a duly appointed committee, according to the bylaws, uh, determines uh, after thorough investigation in accord with procedures described by a pertinent scripture, including Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy 5, that there is co corroborating evidence that the erring individual has sinned or has continued to sin, that he or she has been appropriately confronted, and that he or she has refused to repent, that the elders shall inform the church and the congregation thereof at regularly scheduled worship service in order that the church may call the erring individual to repentance. If the erring individual demonstrates repentance, then notice to that effect may be given at a regularly scheduled worship service. 
If, however, the erring individual does not repent in response to the church and its collective call to repentance, then he or she shall be publicly dismissed from the fellowship and the membership of the church and the congregation thereof at a regularly scheduled worship service. If the erring individual... After such demissal, heeds the warning and demonstrates repentance and requests a reinstatement before the board of elders, then they go on to, to how they can basically get back in. So the way it's supposed to work is you've got to go through the entire process, then it's got to be brought before the church, then if they won't repent, then finally they are going to be, uh, they're going to be excommunicated and publicly shamed. That would be the last step, right? So it would, to me, unless... <laughs> At what, when, when does she be, when, when does Eileen Gray start getting threatened with church discipline? Because she asked to remove her membership, wait, back in what, November, 2001, that's when she wants her membership moved. And so she doesn't get, uh, the first time it's brought before the church is not to what, May of, tw- of, uh, of, two, uh, of 2002. If I said 2022, I apologize, 2001 where she seeks to move her membership. 2002 is where it's first brought before the church. And then August is where she's publicly shamed. August 2002, not August 2022. You you get the idea, all right? And so it just seems weird that they would deny it. Now, here's the part in their document where we get to why they possibly denied her moving her membership. And I don't know if this fits the timeline. Notwithstanding the foregoing, The elders in the exercise of their discretion may proceed directly to the third stage of church discipline. The informing of the church and congregation thereof at a regularly scheduled worship service in order that the church may call the erring individual to repentance or to the fourth stage of church discipline, the dismissal from the fellowship and or membership of the church when one or more of the following have occurred. Right When the transgression and the refusal to repent have been public, openly, and to the offense of the whole church, where the disciplined party has taught or otherwise disseminate doctrine deemed false or erroneous by the elders, then chosen to disregard the direction and reproof of the elders, when the disciplined party has been warned twice to cease from fictitious, or fact, uh, yeah, basically like creating a faction, uh, and, division, and divisive conduct, and has chosen to disregard that warning. The members of the church and all other professing Christians who regularly attend or fellowship with the church agree that there shall be no appeal to any court because of the dismissal or because public statements to the congregation at the third or fourth stage of church discipline. Members of the church who are under discipline by the church, as defined by the previous paragraphs, forfeit and waive the right to resign from this church. There you have it. That, that's what Grace Community Church, I guess, how they were going to try to keep her there. Now, remember, though, she has to leave in November after the eight sessions. So how many steps of church discipline had occurred? I mean, weren't they going through the counseling to deal with her husband's sin of physically and verbally abusing the family? When did, when did she become the sinner in, in the story? She had separated. She had got a protective order. Where did she go wrong? Where, where, where is her sin? She's worried about protecting herself and her family. Come to find out, her children had been sexually molested and the husband is found guilty of that sexual molestation. So, like, where, where did she end, enter into a, a, the, the church discipline part? Let me read it again, all right? The members of this church and all other professing Christians who regularly attend or fellowship with this church agree that there shall be no appeal to any court 
because of the dismissal or because of public statements to the congregation at the third or fourth stage of church discipline. Members of this church who are under discipline by the church, as defined in the previous paragraphs, forfeit forfeit and waive the right to resign from this church. Resignations for membership are possible only by church members who are in good standing and are not under any disciplinary action. Well, wait a minute. How is she under any disciplinary action? She reports the abuse. She she goes through with the eight sessions of, of biblical counseling. She goes along with that. She goes along with that. She just refuses to lift the restraining order. She refuses to get to to immediately go back with her husband that she possibly still perceives to be a threat. Now, you may disagree that there's a threat, but she perceives there to be a threat. Before it's all said and done, she's proven to be right. In other words, even if you think the church was right at the time to excommunicate, once he's found guilty of molesting the children, she was right. She had a better understanding of what was going on in the home than the men at the church, but she was still the one put out and then refused to let her leave. When How, how far had you gotten into the stages of church discipline? Clearly, it hadn't brought, been before the church yet because that doesn't happen to May. So that stage hadn't been reached. She'd been going to counseling. So like, which, which, which stage is she supposedly under in church discipline? Stage one, stage two? How, how could she be under any? I mean, they just gone through eight sessions of, of biblical counseling where, it, where in that set, those sessions, it was acknowledged that she was abused by the husband. That, that's like, and no, you can't leave. That's just, that's just absolutely crazy. So resignations for membership are are possible only by church members who are in good standing and who are not under any disciplinary action. Well, who determines if you're in good standing? The church determines if you're in, hey, you're not in good standing, you can't leave. You're not in good standing, you can't leave. Like what, do you not see the possible danger of, of manipulation and spiritual abuse here? We tell you yet you're in good standing. We tell you when you can leave. You don't leave unless we give you permission. That is... That is troubling to say the least. And where would you get that in scripture that you can't leave? All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm looking here to make sure there's nothing else here. All right. They don't say anything. They don't say anything else here about like when. When you can, when you can, when you can remove, I guess if you don't attend church for six months, they can remove you. Uh, They can remove you, I guess, but um, you can't remove yourself until they say, deem that you can remove yourself. So here would be the questions. I mean, the whole story is just so bizarre. The whole thing is just so crazy. That's what the timeline, timeline is so essential. She has to remove her membership relatively early on in the process. So, and, and, and let's just say, and I, and, I, and I know a lot of people would disagree with me, but let's just throw this concept out. When you church discipline someone, you're taking the ultimate step, right? You're, according to 1 Corinthians, you're turning someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That is an absolutely horrifying thought. That to me is the most frightening thing I could ever think of doing. Here's someone, I'm turning you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That is That is insane. That is frightening and scary. I'm not saying it's not biblical. I'm not saying it should not happen. But wouldn't you, 
want to do everything in your power to try to avoid that step? And if someone decides, hey, I'm just going to leave this church and they're going to go to another church, then why don't you say, okay, which church are you going to go to? And then you contact that church and say, hey, here's the situation going on. There is this problem going on and they want to come to you and I'm, 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 I'm going to hand them over to you and see what, how you can help them where they are spiritually. And maybe you can be instrumental and in bringing them maybe back to a closer walk with God or, or getting over this sin or working together. Like what, what's the point? You're, it's almost like I'm just going to keep you here so that I can turn you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that I can excommunicate you. Wouldn't the desire be reconciliation? Wouldn't the desire be restoration? Wouldn't the desire to be to help the person? If the person wants to leave, clearly that probably indicates they're no longer going to listen to you. That probably indicates that they're they're maybe they're filled with frustration, bitterness, and maybe that's not right. It's not that you're saying, well, you're right. Maybe it's just like, okay, look, clearly there's something going on in your spiritual life. Sometimes isn't it just better just to let them go? I mean, they're leaving the church. It, the whole purpose of church discipline, one of the purposes of church discipline is to protect the church, right? One of the purposes of church discipline, I would think, was to keep someone from the Lord's table so they cannot partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, which, according to 1 Corinthians, could resulted in people dying and getting sick. So you're already, you're, you're, you're doing all of that. You're protecting the church, the person left. You're protecting the Lord's table, the person left. So are you just being vindictive? Oh, no, we're going to prove something. We're going to publicly shame you. We're going to pu- Wait a minute, especially in the case with Eileen, the whole situation at best was muddy because you have physical abuse going on. So at the very best, is that the time that you're going to try to stand your ground and show how godly you are by going after a woman who's already been physically and verbally abused? Like to me, what are you gaining in that situation? No, I'm not, I'm not, look, there may be some situations where you'd be like, look, Okay, I know you want to leave because you don't want to face church discipline, but what you're, we're going to have to hold you accountable here. Maybe there's some situations where you felt like that that would be the appropriate step, and I'd be more than willing to listen to it. But in this case, you just disagree with a woman's decision, but she's the one who was abused. She's the one, her kids, don't you care about the parents' right to protect their child? Like at the very best, would not this be the situation to go, you know what? We may disagree, but okay, what church are you going to go to? We're going to do everything we can. We'll, 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 we'll do everything we can to help you because maybe the next church you, 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 can, you can move on. Like, why wouldn't you just do what you can to help? So the, the request was denied, it appears, in November of 2001. If I said 2021 anywhere in here, I apologize. I'm trying to keep all of the dates correct. That, that's... It doesn't get brought before the church till May of twenty of two thousand two. I keep I keep wanting to say twenty twenty two, two thousand two. Right, that that makes no sense to me. That would be different if maybe after it was brought before the church, maybe after it was brought before the church, then then she said, okay, I want to leave. Okay, then the church said, well, we've already made this step. We can't, go, we can't go back now. Okay, maybe you have an argument. But, I mean, she just finished the, the, the eight sessions of biblical counseling. I mean, and it was acknowledged there that he did do those things. So, clearly, she's not making anything up. Clearly, her concerns have been proven. And then even if, even if you feel that the church was correct in 
church disciplining her, even if you believe they were correct, it still raises question, why would they just not let her move on? But even then it raises the question, after it was found that he was guilty of these other things, why didn't they apologize and lift the church discipline? And when did he get church disciplined? When did when does he get to church disciplined? Never? Ever? And there's another part of this story that I've yet to track down because no one's given me a definitive answer yet. Who actually filed for divorce? According to some reports, she's not the one who filed for divorce. The husband filed for divorce. The husband who did the beating and the abusing and the sexually molesting is the one who filed for divorce. And she's the one who's excommunicated. And if you believe that the excommunication was biblical, she still turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh because the church never lifted it. That's insane. So when can a person leave a church? Look, what does a church gain by saying, you want to leave? I'm sorry, you can't leave. We're going to deny you. We're going to, and we're going to write you letter after letter after letter after letter. When, 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 and not only this, if MacArthur's the one who excommunicates, we seem to have no record of him ever meeting with her. How could he excommunicate someone he didn't meet with? How is that even biblical? Well, another elder met with her, but you're the one going, then that other elder should be the one doing the excommunicating. So this raises questions. I'll, I'll end it with this because we're already over an hour. This took much longer than I wanted. I will, I'm going to raise this question. When you look at the church today, bylaws and, and contracts and, and you got this and you got that, you got to sign this, you got to sign that and all of these meetings and, and, and committees and boards and all of the things that are, make up so much of the church today. How much of that is nothing more than mere human invention? How much of that has nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ as founded in the scripture where it's turned into something completely other than, and it may be because of good motives where we want the church to be holy. Well, we want the church to be right. We want accountability. Look, it's, it's always easy when you see certain principles in the Bible and the principles are not fleshed out that we feel like that we can come along, flesh out those principles and let, and we create an entire basically system of rules and regulations that go beyond what the Bible says. And that is exactly what the Pharisees got in trouble for because they took what God's laws and then they kept adding and adding and adding and adding and adding to them. Who are we to add 50 rules and regulations and what you can and cannot do and when you can leave and when you can't leave and what we can and where you get the ones to make the determination? At what point does it become a controlling cult a man-made organization that no longer breathes the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it breathes basically human religion, man-made religion. That is the real issue in this story, and one that I think we need to discuss more and more. Now, I would challenge you to go listen to the rest of that video. It is another 14 minutes plus left. I want you to go listen to it on their their site and go to the YouTube go to YouTube type in honest youth pastor if you can't find the link email me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com and I'll be more than happy to send it to you so that you can listen to what they have to say about a very just crazy situation and the timeline look there's people going to continue to debate the timeline 
But there seems to be no debate that she requested her to leave the church way back in November 2001. And it's not brought before the church to, to get to those final stages of church discipline until 2002. That, that just seems crazy. That seems crazy. Um, yeah, and I, again, I, I, just, I just don't know what you gain by like, nope, nope, you're staying right here. You're going to stay right here. You're going to stay right here. We're going to punish you. I, I just don't know what you gain from that. I really don't. I really don't. But there you go. There you have it. What do you think in regards to church membership? What do you think about all the, the rules and regulations and systems that have been created for the church? How, how much of it do you think is simply man-made? And what can we do away with and try to get back to a more biblical model? That, that's the question that I want to arise from all of this. You, people are going to debate this whole case with Eileen Gray and David Gray, and it's going to be debated and debated. And ultimately, I don't, I don't ever see a Grace Community Church ever being forced to have to give an answer. Or if they give an answer, they'll be like, oops, made a mistake, and everybody will just move on. I don't think anything of, of serious consequence is going to come from it ultimately. Sadly, I don't think anything's going to happen. I don't even think they're ever going to have to really give a, an account. Eileen's is moved on and, and life just, I mean, it's just, the whole thing is just horribly tragic, just horribly tragic. But what can come from it is for all of us to stop and look at ourselves and go, man, what have we done in my, our church? How have we conducted things in our church? Have we done things right? Like, how, what have we done? It, I, 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 I even, I've said this even about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, listening to the horrible, tragic story of everything that happened with Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. No matter how much you may disagree with everything they did and disagree with their theology, it's still an opportunity to stop and look at yourself. So let's look at ourselves. What have we added to the church that really has nothing to do with the church? And what can we do to maybe change some of that? And, and how do you treat, how do you handle who can leave and who can't leave? And where did you come up with these rules? Where did, where did, where, where did Grace Community Church come up with the rule that you, you, you have to be in good standing before you can leave? If you're in bad standing, you can't leave. In other words, you don't even have to have entered into the church discipline process, according to Grace Community Church. You can just be in bad standing as determined by the elders, and they won't let you leave. Like that, hey, you want to leave, clearly you're not in good standing, so you can't. That, that just seems problematic all day long, but you can tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Everyone have a great day. We should be back on the air here shortly. God bless.